You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Force Perspectives for part five of our Obi-Wan Kenobi retrospective. I am your host, Michael Cohen, and with me, as always, for the Obi-Wan Kenobi retrospective, my uh, steadfast and stalwart co-host, Marty Alleman. Marty, here we finally made it. We made it to part five. <laughs> we, made, we made it to the flashbacks. We uh, made it. Hello, everyone. We, we did it. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, this episode is so good. This episode is so good. I this is really, I think like, well, like where the, where sort of like the heart of the, of the whole story is, is in this one. We get so much of Anakin's perspective on it, which is funny because it's a series about Obi-Wan, but it's the episode that sort of like turns, uh, with Anakin's character that, that, um, that I think we really like it's, this is where it. This is where we get the meat that we needed sort of earlier in the, in the series um, in order to kind of bring it all together. And I say that not saying that I had a problem obviously with any of the other episodes, cause I love the whole series, but we get here and then all of a sudden it's like, ah, this is what we've been driving at. Right? Like this is what, this is what it's all been about. Cause we get, we get Obi-Wan's resolve, right? He's finally Obi-Wan Kenobi again mm-hmm. in the scene when he addresses everybody in the, in the, the facility right with their plan we get um we get the reveal of what riva is actually after right and meanwhile throughout the entire episode we're getting anakin's basically inner monologue as he recalls this this last uh training session with obi-wan before they go to geonosis basically right like that's or not before geonosis but like you can kind of imagine that this is like this is like within the day or two before uh, before Padme shows up and everything goes to hell and the Clone Wars start, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, this is sort of like the last major lesson, I think, that Obi-Wan teaches him because after this point, um, after he loses his arm and all of that stuff, it's like, well, he's a Jedi Knight at that point, right? So... <clears throat> I know that in the books and stuff that there's different points. There's contested about when Anakin becomes a Jedi Knight, but I would, I would say that uh, uh, based on the movies and the Clone Wars TV show, it is <laughs> very clear that after uh, the battle of Geonosis, Anakin is considered a Knight. Uh, I, he, he moves forward, but anyways. Um, yeah. How did you feel about this episode? Um, to be completely honest, um, rewatching it now, I realized as I was watching it that I feel like this was actually the episode that I remembered the least. Um, I remember mm-hmm. the broad strokes about it. Yeah. Um, obviously, the flashbacks, the intercutting, uh, the reveal of Riva, the amazing 
uh, fight sequence at the end of the uh, episode with uh, Reva and Vader. But um, overall, like the details and who spoke to whom, what led to what, all those little details, I didn't remember, um, which doesn't happen to me often. So I don't remember if I've actually seen this one more than once before uh, this uh, rewatch right here. So Mm-hmm. That was kind of an interesting uh, reveal for me. Um, I did remember liking it, but I just remember as I was watching it, like, why does Reva turn, you know, like, what wh- what's her reason for turning? And I like, is there a moment where she speaks to Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan does the negotiator tactic to her? Mm-hmm. Like, as I was watching, I was like, what's going to happen? I was actually on the edge of my seat uh, with a couple uh, moments here. Like, I was <laughs> trying to happen? remember yeah, and then like uh, there's a moment where he hands off the communicator and the lightsaber to um, uh, to Rogan to Haja and uh, yeah, yeah, to Haja. And he goes uh, and does the negotiator thing, and I'm like, what's going to happen? I don't remember this. <laughs> so, um, but it was all fun, and uh, I was uh, greatly enjoying it. And because uh, there's that thing when I was uh, rewatching, it, I'm like, again, I know what happens with Reva and she's actually out to go and get Vader. But as this is happening, as this is unfolding within the first few minutes, she's going down there with the battalion to take out the path and Obi-Wan. And it's like, what is her motivation? Vader's right there. Or, you know, like, so like I was happy that uh, basically through the course of the episode, it is Obi-Wan that uh, kind of sheds that light towards her, and basically like it's almost more it's like the the motivation's there but her own fear is getting in the way of confronting mm-hmm. Vader and Obi-Wan um for better or for worse kind of has her go through that and face that fear so i was really uh like i was i was into it this whole time doing this rewatch yeah for sure i mean like i i i like like i said like this is kind of when we when we start to get you know like at the meat of these characters and what's going on with them right and and reva's um whole motivation up until this point has been kind of unclear other than just like power right like we're just like okay this is just another sith that wants power right like we're we're just we're just doing this again but then we get to a certain point in this episode where it's like that's but that's not what this is about actually like it's it's a different sith storyline this one's revenge right um and we get some of that great stuff of the like you know where were you while he was killing us right and we get obi-wan's guilt of all of that and 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 all all of those things happening and um yeah for me like it just all really really works i just i i I think this episode is sort of when it all and it has to because we're going into the finale right and the finale is mostly just about a fight and a chase. Um, so I don't, I don't know. There's, there's, there's not a lot to say next week. I feel like um, that might change after I rewatch it, but I, I like, we'll, we'll have lots to say about the series overall, I think, but in terms of like the actual mechanics of the episode, so much of that episode is the fight. But for this one, it's like, this is such a quiet episode for the first half of it until they breach the wall. Right. And then mm-hmm. it and then it gets pretty crazy and there's some stuff that happens. But um, but yeah, it's I uh, uh, th- this is an episode about characters and um, and for me, that's why it really works. Uh, but I think that's also why, like, 
like what happens in this episode is not as important as why things are happening. So I think that's probably why like you don't really remember specifics. For sure. Right? Like it's... you don't you don't have like that sort of mechanical memory of it like last week of like the rescue mission. It's like, oh yeah, and then they go down in the thing and then they see the people trapped in amber and then they rescue. Right? Like it's like like there's very much like a sequence of events in that one. Whereas this one has sort of a lot of stuff sort of we go back and forth, right? Because we get the moment of him at the door having the conversation with Riva and then we get the moment of him surrendering and having a conversation with Riva, right? right. And they're, very, they're similar, but not the same. Um, so yeah, like it, it, it's one of, I don't know, but at the same time, I feel like this will probably be our shortest episode um, because I don't, I don't know. As much as I, I really like everything that happens, we've kind of at this point in the series of the podcast talked about a lot of this stuff already. For sure. And then this is the episode that just kind of reinforces a lot of that. Um, and really just sort of like where, where things kind of culminate, right? There's not a lot to say about the fact that Obi-Wan is resolved here, right? We saw him come back into his own in the course of the last episode. So we kind of know that that's where we're going. Right. And so when we get the scene where everybody's scared and it's like in the, the, the doors won't open and he makes his speech of like, we can't, we can't beat them, but if we can hold them off long enough, we can't escape. Everybody can get out. Right. And I, I, that's what like we see Obi-Wan Kenobi come back for the first time. That's the Obi-Wan from the Clone Wars, right? Like that's the Obi-Wan from the, the prequel trilogy before right. he, he became broken. So like it's, it's, there's not a lot to say about that other than all that other stuff that we talked about. We were right. And here we are now. Right. Which is great. <laughs> the great thing about doing the, the series uh, in hindsight and not as they're coming out is that we already know that. So um, but yeah, it, so I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a funny episode to pull apart and dissect. Um, I think, I think for me, the one thing that I'll want to talk about is probably uh, Tala's storyline and that coming to an end. But, uh, but it was there, was there anything in particular about this episode that stands out for you having rewatched it? I mean, you know me and, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a, I'm a video editor by trade. I, uh, so that's what I gravitate towards when it comes to usually the film language, um, editing and cinematography for the most part. And what can you not say about the editing in this episode? Um, the very nature of the structure of this entire episode is based on this flashback, this cross cutting between the master and the apprentice having a dual via training. Um, and every part of this dual is basically laying out the actual narrative of the story as we go along with it with also slight callbacks to the previous fight that we had in episode three uh with uh between vader and obi-wan uh those uh huge uh strikes from overhead with uh, anakin hitting you know obi-wan and he's on the floor blocking it it's very reminiscent of what exactly happened in episode three um, episode three of Obi Wan, mm. not Revenge of the Sith. Episode three, <laughs> to be clear. Um, but um, no, just uh, overall, I uh, really uh, just love the cross cutting, literally between uh, the present and the past. Um, 
the uh, there was some slight de-aging, which is uh, I think was pretty effective, even though you could obviously tell that the actors have uh, aged since in 20 years since the last uh, time that they were in these actual costumes in these roles. Um, I, I kind of felt also uh, there, it's uh, kind of funny to me because uh, there's this kind of unofficial kind of, I guess, uh, tradition in the prequels where you could always tell when they did reshoots because of Ewan's hair. And uh, I kind of felt like his hair um, for, I don't think it was on purpose or anything, but his hair uh, in this scene actually resembles his uh, reshoot hair in Attack of the Clones, which I appreciated. Um, So it's like it, even the inconsistencies are consistent in this episode. (laughs) Um, But overall in the actual uh, present of the, uh, the episode, um, I love how we were, uh, seeing uh, Vader's lack of patience, um, just as he was in that flashback, um, and uh, I, I, I miss—I'm going to miss Tala for sure. I mean, she basically has three episodes to shine in, and um, uh, we even get a moment with her where um, that's the only part of the episode where it, it felt like it slowed down, and um, it's when because everything's hectic throughout the entire course of this episode. And he, um, Obi-Wan gets that message from Bail Organa and Tala goes there. And then, then she has her kind of last real scene before the action happens. And uh, so it's like, it's almost like foreshadowing a little bit of, you know, what's going to happen with her, but uh doesn't make it less tragic when it does. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think we know just by virtue of, um, you know, not the nonlinear storytelling of Star Wars that like, well, Tala's not really around, so I don't think that she's going to be around sort of thing. Right. But um, I so so we kind of get the sense that she's not going to survive. But I uh, but. Yeah, I, I the, there's a there's an aspect of this character of Tala that I don't really hear anybody talk about that I find very interesting to discuss which is the idea that she is actually a romantic interest for Obi-Wan, right? I got that vibe very strong in this series. Mm. I don't think that a lot of people uh, are there with me, which I think is really interesting. But I definitely felt chemistry between those two characters. And had Tala survived, the story may have gone very differently. Right. That that Obi-Wan might not have felt so alone, but that, you know, because she doesn't, um, he goes back to his solitude on Tatooine and and all of that. Right. But that I think that the the I think that the path forward may have been very different had she survived this episode. So for me, every time I watch it, that's kind of what's going on in my head. That's what I'm thinking about is is, you Mm. know. Oh, if only if only Tala had survived, you know, we might have gotten some other interesting storylines coming about. But uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I uh, I felt it uh, too. Um, maybe not as strongly as you did, but I did feel there were some moments where they could have gone either way. I appreciate that when it comes to because how many times do we ever see a moment where you know there is a actual like connection romantic connection of some sort and then that person dies so i'm happy they didn't go all the way with that because that will almost would have like kind of tipped the hand a little bit of what they were kind of trying to plan there a little bit 
but uh overall i think i agree um because um yeah i mean i mean and and your Varma is, you know, just a beautiful woman. So how can you not? And, you know, it's you. And so, uh, there is that aspect, but it's, um, there's already so much in this show that, I mean, there's so much, uh, strength that, uh, for lack of a better term, there's just so much, um, that this show has when it comes to, uh, I guess courage is the right word. There's so mm. much courage with this show in terms of, what Deborah Chow, what the writers have come to, because they're dealing with icons. And maybe this is something we can kind of talk about in this episode, because you're dealing with characters like Obi-Wan, Vader, Luke, Leia, Alderaan, like all these heavy hitters of like Star Wars lore. And you're playing so close to the, with so many moments. Like, I mean, I, I the fact that Obi-Wan leaves Tatooine and goes on this adventure with Princess Leia. And there's all these things that happen in the show that it, it, it almost sounds as if, you know, it's like a fan, like, Oh, what if, wouldn't it be kind of cool if this happens? I don't know. Like this show does it so well and with so much confidence and success, it's just uh, fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it yeah, it it's it is one of the few I think stories that can kind of come back and uh, uh revisit a lot of these like you said like iconic characters, but actually like hits the mark. Um we've talked a lot a lot about Vivian Lear Blair and the casting there with her as Leia and then obviously having you in reprise his role as Obi-Wan. Um and then and then I think we haven't really talked enough yet about Hayden and his performance as Vader, because I really think he does a phenomenal job. We'll talk a lot about it next week, I think, but uh, because that's really when it, when we get to see it the most, but, but we get to see a lot of Hayden in this, in this episode as Anakin. Mm. There's one great moment in particular where I feel that he really, really captured the, the essence of, of his performance from 2002 uh when at the at the end of the the training session obi-wan imparts his wisdom right he, he teaches anakin a lesson mm. and anakin goes from sort of, or no it's not it's not even at the end right it's it's the it's the middle of the fight right anakin disarms obi-wan and says you you have no weapon the fight is over and and obi-wan just stops and goes anakin you're like you're so focused on victory, right? Like I, and then, and then, and then proceeds to school him, right? Like just like shuts him down. Um, and, and it's like the duel's not over, right? Like, like just because you, like you, you say that, that the, that the fight is finished, um, that doesn't make it finished. Right. So, um, which is great foreshadowing for the next episode where, you know, I, I personally think we'll talk about this next week. I personally think that Vader is like that. Anakin through Vader is like begging Obi-Wan, like kill me, like kill me, like do it. Like oh, you're like your friend sure. is dead. He's already dead. I killed him. I killed him. So end me now because I'm just suffering. That's all I'm doing. Right. And Obi-Wan 
kind of just walks away, right? He just like uh, just just leaves it. But um, right. was lots to talk about next week with that. And we'll save that. Yeah, yeah. Agreed, but uh, <laughs> but we're kind of, we're kind of foreshadowing that here, right? Of Obi Wan being like, "I beat you. Now let's go get lunch." And Anakin very much not leaving the fight right like it's uh it's uh it sort of reverses part way through um and that that antagonism is is what's gonna sort of carry through an attack of the clones um as the two of them go on their adventures i i and uh you know have their have their their uh weird brother father son dynamic uh, i play out but uh yeah I don't know. I, I I really, I really enjoy all that flashback stuff so much in this episode because it does give us that opportunity. It does give us that insight, and it's such a bold choice, such a bold choice. But it's it's one of those instances where it's like, does Hayden Christensen look like a nineteen year old? No, absolutely not. He definitely looks like a man in his forties pretending to be his twenty year old self, right? Um, and, and even like, like you and it's like, yeah, no, we've, we've put a bunch of makeup on them and that sort of thing. But this is where like the story is more important than whatever's on screen. Right. For sure. And by virtue of that, we forgive so much more. Whereas let's, let's juxtapose this with the end of Mandalorian season two, when Luke shows up and it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's rad when Luke shows up. He's mowing through those dark troopers and it's super radical, right? Like it's a, it's a very cool star Wars moment. Is it thematically as resonant as it could have been? Maybe not. Is it a little bit confusing? Um, I mean, like it's, this is tough now because we have the larger picture, right? But at the time, for sure, we were looking at that and going like, should Grogu go with Luke? Right. Um, and we're questioning that. Right. And the biggest thing that tells me that like thematically that scene doesn't work as well as it could is that like all we talk about in that episode is how cool Luke was and how bad the de-aging was. Right. Like that episode has a lot in it that episode of Mando has a lot in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's got an incredible fight between uh, Moff Gideon and Mando, mm-hmm. right? Like an incredibly well choreographed fight. It's got all of the awesome moments with, uh, with, with his whole squad of uh, badass ladies that he takes with him, right? Like it's so good. So cool. Um, there are so many great moments in that episode. Uh, and yet the thing that we talk about is the bad, uh, the the bad CG at the end, and the reason why we talk about it is because it it kind of rings a little bit hollow, it rings a little bit false. Um, whereas with this, it's like, yeah, Ewan's hair looks terrible. It looks like the reshoot <laughs> hair, right? It looks really, really bad, especially after the fight. It's all like sort of disheveled or whatever. It looks really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't matter because like that's not what we're focused on. We're focused on what they're saying to each other. We're focused on this moment between characters and we're focused on what that means for Vader. We're focused on what that means for Ben Kenobi. And we're focused on what that means for the future with Luke and Leia, right? Um, 
and as such, like we, like we let so much slide in comparison to those other stories that we can think of with de-aging, right? I'll give you guys another great example. Tron Legacy, which predates all of this stuff by 10 to 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. At this point, oh, 10 to 13, I guess, 2010 mm-hmm. uh, is when Tron Legacy came out. The de-aging stuff that they did for Kevin Flynn in that movie, you go back and you watch it now and it's like, ooh, boy, it's it's really bad, right? But they get around it. They they use a narrative trick in that, like, we don't see a lot of, like, the actual de-aged Kevin Flynn. We see, like, a couple minutes at the beginning of the movie. But for the most part, it's Clue. And Clue is a digital copy of Kevin Flynn, right? right. So, like, it's one of those things where, like, even though we have actual, like, modern-day Jeff Bridges talking to de-aged CG Jeff Bridges, those scenes work because a, the content of them is phenomenal. The writing is phenomenal in that movie. Um, and we've gone on that journey and all of that. Right. But then like, also we have this great narrative device of like, well, there's a reason why he looks like a computer animated character. Right. Um, so it works for us. It's fine. But I, uh, but yeah, like it's, but it's another one of those ones of like, of like the narrative, the story makes up for the failing of the technology, which is why we can go back and we can watch return of the Jedi and we don't need, you know, the modern special effects. We can get away with the special effects as they are. Um, right. And like, well, like it's fine. Right. Um, Real that's fast because the story, the story holds it up. Not, not the special effects. Right. For sure. Whereas I, th- I think sometimes nowadays, we end up leaning into the special effects and expect that to prop up a bad story. Um, like, I don't, I don't know how well the fast and furious movies will hold up in 30 years. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're super fun right now, but you know, are they really that great to go back and watch fast five is, but, but like as a, as a, as a franchise in general, is it, you know, or is it just a fun roller coaster ride that whenever a new one comes out, let's go. Right. Um, which is very different, you know, uh, from from what we want from like a Star Wars. But then we get a Star Wars that is mostly spectacle and special effects in the Rise of Skywalker. And I think that most of us could take it or leave it. Even the people who like Rise of Skywalker. It is like a like a take it or leave it. And experience that they have with it, like I like I just. I don't know anybody who's going to fight to defend that that is their favorite star Wars movie. You know what I mean? And, and it's because like the, the, the character stuff's not there. The narrative stuff isn't there as much as it's just like, well, now they're fighting on the death star. Cause I guess that's kind of cool. And now they're riding horses on a star destroyer. Cause that's a neat idea, right? Like it's a, um, yeah, I think that JJ learned the wrong lessons from the way that George makes Star Wars movies. Because we go back to the prequels and we go back to the way that George made those movies. And I love watching those documentaries and watch, watching him walk in and um, go through the concept art, right? And he would have his stamp and he would just put like, yep, good, yep, good, yep, good. And and uh, I don't know, I've, I've seen a lot of criticism from that over the years people talking about it's like oh well that's why they're 
you know, like like the story is not as blah blah blah. And it's like well, the story the story in the prequels is actually really good. The performances are a little bit flat because George didn't pay attention to the actors, but the story is actually very solid. It's just you know some of the editing and some of the uh, some of the performances just don't support it. But there's a right. great aspect of his um, of the way that George looks at movies and making movies and the visual medium of it in that like what he'll what he had said and i think that doug chang talks about this i think it was doug chang that 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 this is attributed to is that like that first time that george came in and was just like this one this one this one and then doug started asking questions of like yeah but why and like it's like um George's explanation for why he made the choices that he made, why he picked the stuff that he picked was like, we don't like, this is only going to be on screen for 30 seconds total. The, the audience has to know exactly what it is visually, right? Like they need to be able to see it and, uh, and, and know it instantly that that's the engine and that's the cockpit and that's right. Like blah, blah, blah. Like it just has to communicate without us explaining what it is. Right. Like you look at the Millennium Falcon and you know which parts the front, you know which parts the cockpit, you know which parts the engine and how it's gonna fly, right? You can just you can just picture it the second that you see that ship, the second that you see an X-wing, the second that you see an Abu Starfighter or the Pod Racers. I mean, you see the Pod Racers and you look at them and you go, those things are fast. Why? <laughs> because they are literally just a seat and gigantic engines, like starship engines attached to a sled. Right. And so it's like instantly we know exactly what those are. I think that that JJ kind of looked at that and went. "Okay, so like the visuals are the most important part of this. The sequences are the most important part. Right. Um, And so like he like he put those movies together, Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker, like like suffers from it more. Cause I think that, I mean, like you've got Lawrence Kasdan writing your dialogue for that first one. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it's that dialogue sings as opposed to Chris Terrio's dialogue, which is just a wet fart, (laughs) but, uh, um, you have his power, right? Like crap like that. Uh, I, and then Ben Solo, not saying a single word. You know, it's just great, great screenwriting choices like that. Um, no, he said <laughs> They just, they just focused on, we've talked about this, right? They just focused on like, oh, and then she's got two lightsabers at the end so that she can do this, right? So that she can just Kamehameha blast him. And uh, so now we have to explain at some point why she has a second lightsaber and we have to do this and we have to do that. They wrote the movie in reverse. Like, it just drives me nuts how does this all relate back into Obi-Wan Kenobi? Uh, oh, we were talking about the de-aging and stuff. Talking about the visual effects and the de-aging. And real fast, I wanted to uh, slightly yeah. go back real fast. Uh, when you were mentioning uh, Tron Legacy, and I always go back to this notion of what filmmakers don't do anymore. And this is finally a, a, maybe a, my platform, and I could go on a soapbox for a second about uh, current filmmakers and with you know, this de-aging technology, which I'm generally a fan of. Uh, I think Marvel has actually done it relatively well. They, they do it sparingly. Um, and uh, as of late, there's been uh, more instances where it's been like, hey, it's 
getting better. It's still not perfect, but it's getting better. Going back to Tron Legacy, though, uh, one thing that it suffers from in the very, very beginning, because you could always argue that notion of um, Clue is a digital character in the story. So that works. But in the very beginning, you got a moment between father and son, and he's speaking to him as, you know, his younger self. And the very first shot that you see him, it's a beautiful reveal because uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's just to indulge me for a second. The, the camera kind of wraps around and the light source of the shot is from behind. So Kevin Flynn is for the most part in silhouette. So it kind of works. But the final moment of that scene, he's leaving um, Sam Flynn's uh, bedroom. And before he turns and closes the door, there is a huge light source right on his face. And that is what kills the magic trick, if you will. And what filmmakers just don't do anymore is what Spielberg uh, did in Jaws with Bruce the shark, if you will. You got to hide Bruce the shark as, you know, unless it's working for you, hide it. So in these cases, I feel like the filmmakers are almost a little bit too ambitious with this technology where, you know, if you have a character that uh, needs to be younger, like going back to like, say, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the first opening scene in that film. You have a same, a similar scene where between a father and a son, where Sean Connery is supposed to be a lot younger. You don't even see his face; you just cut around him. You just shoot mm-hmm. around his, his hands yeah. and close-ups and stuff. So, um, that was just my little soapbox moment. <laughs> it doesn't really pertain to the episode, but I just felt like I needed to get yeah. that out. Where like we just need to have a little bit more discipline. And like going back real fast to what you said also about the Mandalorian season two. It really just, if you really look at it, it's really just one really bad shot. And it's the close-up. It's the final close-up where he says, may the force be with you, where he looks down at Grogu, looks up at Mando, says, may the force be with you. If you look at all the other shots, I will say they're passable. But that last shot, it's the final mm-hmm. shot. Mm-hmm. It's the line. It's the close-up. Dude, <laughs> just don't shoot, don't use it. Don't use that shot. <laughs> yeah, just, but... It's hard, but then it's they uh, then they come back in season two and they're like, "What if we did a whole episode with them?" Uh, no, no not Fett, in yeah. not in the next in Book of Boba Fett, not even in his own show. Uh, yeah, they come back in Book of Boba Fett and they're like, "What if we, what if we, uh, what if we just have so much Luke?" Uh, but they learned their lessons. I mean, so for me, the Luke and Book of Boba Fett actually, I want to say ninety five percent of the time works. Is it a little stilted and a little bit emotionless? Absolutely. I get that, but only a little bit. I think, I feel like the success rate on book of Boba Fett Luke is way more. Oh yeah. It's yeah. They, they, they fixed a lot of the problems for sure, but it's still one of those things of like, instead of, instead of being clever about it or just, you know, like, Hey, maybe let's not do this. They just doubled down. They just doubled down and went like, Nope, we're just going to work harder on it this time. And it's, you know, it pays off. Cause I, I do think that, that it serves its purpose in that story. But, um, for sure. But ultimately, like, this is the thing is, and I think this is what you're kind of getting at, is that it's the Jeff Goldblum line in Jurassic Park, right? The yep. scientists yeah. were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. And the story needs to be the reason that you do it, not the other way around, right? You don't give Ray two lightsabers at the end so that she can... Have, like put them in like an X and then like I'm all the Jedi and shoot laser beams at Palpatine. Right. 
that's not and then work it backwards and go i guess the other one was leia's and then we have to write a whole backstory for how leia trained as a jedi until she didn't and then gave luke her lightsaber and luke kept it on octo the whole time but didn't mention anything about it in the entire last movie um but now it's important now now she needs both lightsabers uh why does she need both lightsabers she doesn't it just like because we have a moment and we're gonna do this thing with with ben and it's like okay they just you know i instead of instead of writing the narrative to suit the characters they wrote the narrative to suit these moments right and and a lot of it was just like we have these special effects ideas of what we're going to do they started with the concept art this is what i was sort of getting at with with all that that stuff about george lucas and where jj gets gets it wrong they started with the concept art and what it looks like and then they wrote stories to fit around that right and you can see this in the behind the scenes documentary for rise of skywalker when they're trying to figure out the dagger stuff and like they're writing story to suit the prop that they've pulled out (laughs) right and it's like and it's like oh and it's got these little things that come out and he's going like oh yeah and then she could do this and then she could pull this thing out and then that's how it'll work and it's like listen you guys if you are figuring out the macguffin now well, you're about to shoot, it's too late, you know? And that's why, like, we watch that movie, and I think I even people who love the movie, it's like, defend it. Defend the dagger. Somebody out there defend the dagger for me. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. They are just standing on a random hill looking at a random chunk of debris that the sea has been smashing to smithereens for... Like since Ochi made the dagger, thirty years, right? Like, or maybe not even thirty, maybe twenty years, right? But in any case, long enough, right? Like, it just it's 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 completely absurd. It's it makes no sense if you stop and think about it for two seconds, which is just another thing that that stories are just so um, so guilty of these days. That is one of the things in Obi Wan people can criticize whatever they want they tend to criticize the um the budget right that tends to be the thing and listen this episode is where the budget shows the most those stormtroopers all the shots like outside the 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 blast doors they look like a tv show they do not look like a movie but but there's a very simple reason for that there's no depth of field on any of those shots Somebody was asleep at the wheel on that day and they just, they just didn't give that any sense of scale. So it looks like you're on a set. It just looks like you have a video camera on a set. Everything is in sharp relief. It's all lit flat. And it's just, it's just, it's funny because it'll switch back and forth between that and the stuff going on inside and you go inside and all of a sudden there's this great depth of field that's telling you where to focus your eyes and what we're looking at. There's uh, different pools of light doing different things for different characters and it all works, right? And it actually looks really great. And then we'll pop to those outdoor scenes. They're not outdoors. It's all in the volume, right? And just, I don't know what happened on that day, but somebody forgot to do some cinematography they had they had really cool camera moves in those moments but there's just zero depth of field and so like it just looks like a fan film it just looks like a fan film because that's one of those things that inexperienced dps they just shoot a clean plate 
right? You just, uh, well, you're focused on framing, you're focused on the camera move, but you're not actually focused on focus, which is funny. I, I, yeah, it's, um, actually it's ironic, not a coincidence. Like, people want to say about that one song which actually makes that song ironic that the song is called ironic but nothing in it is ironic maybe that was the joke i don't know i don't know you have to ask alanis morissette but i but it is ironic that the one thing they forgot to focus on was the focus uh in 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 those scenes and so it does look really cheap but but that's the one thing that i think that you can criticize this show for um as far as i'm concerned there are no plot holes in obi-wan there really aren't like it, it all makes perfect sense. Um, one of my favorite things if somebody might try and tell me is a plot hole, but I think it's just Anakin being like top tier Anakin is when he's like Neil and makes her the grand inquisitor. And like Vader knows that, that, that grande, we don't know his name. We've, we've never gotten a name for that character, but the actual grand inquisitor uh, 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 that he is alive, right? And he's just hanging back. He's just hanging back. I uh, for that reveal at the end, which I love. I love the. And then the other part of it is like I I love the aspect where the Grand Inquisitor is like, I, uh, you uh like like uh what revenge can be a can be a powerful motivator i can't remember exactly what he says but um but basically that like he stayed alive she stabbed him and he stayed alive to see her get stabbed again or to see her get stabbed um and then and then they just walk away from her they leave her there and they don't they don't finish the job and so she survives to get revenge um so i like that i like that that's uh that that's a that's a great loose thread that's out there in the galaxy that that reva is still out there we'll talk about that next week but um but yeah i just i love that moment i and and, uh the performance on that rupert friend in that moment is so good yeah Uh, but it's uh revenge does wonders for the will to live don't that's what it is yeah i uh i always have the movie play or the show playing um so i just of the subtitles um yeah i always had this like thought where in that scene where vader um makes sure the grand inquisitor there's almost like this part of me that thinks that uh, the grand inquisitor and like a couple of the other like the fifth brother are like in the next room kind of like impractical joker style just like laughing uh-huh. at the camera. <laughs> now pin it on her now pin it on her chest yeah <laughs> hilarious she thinks she's the grand inquisitor that's yeah. hilarious yeah oh it's so, perfect um, it's perfect um yeah the um yeah, it's funny because yeah, the um, cinematography for sure is flat in those scenes. It almost uh, reminds me of like test footage for the volume for like season one of The Mandalorian, <laughs> you know. But um, now overall, like you know, getting off that whole topic, I mean, um, you know, we have the the path and everyone's escaping, and they're um, uh, Leia is uh, has her little subplot where she's trying to open the doors, and you got the evil lola and um that was a cute little uh moment where she you know gets the the door the adorable restraining bolt <laughs> off of yeah. uh lola um and um you know my daughter has her own little lola so when we were watching it today she was just like is that where she had it <laughs> just with her own lola which is great um but yeah um yeah the uh 
how does uh, Reva's motivation track for you? Um, do you buy it? Do you not buy it? I'm, I'm pretty sure you do, but I'm curious what you feel about her whole motivation. Um, I, I think it's kind of left a little bit ambiguous with what happens during Order 66. Like, I feel like she does get stabbed, but then it's like she doesn't die and she just stays with the rest of the unfortunate uh, younglings in the Jedi Temple. Like, how, and the whole motivation of her like plan, like, how do you feel about it? Um, I love it. I love it. And, and, and the, the, the aspect of it, like being a bad plan and not, not working out, I think is perfect. I mean, like she is, um, she is a child, right? She's a very powerful child, but yeah. And even though she is physically an adult, she is stuck in that moment. And so all of her motivations are the motivations of, I don't know how old would you say she is? She's like a 10, 11, 12 year old, something like that. Um, So they're all the motivations of a child, of a scared child. And everything that she's done up until this point fits into that. What we talked about last week with her, like sort of um, like those unhinged moments where she sort of loses control. Right. And uh, we'll see even more of it next week. But it all like it all speaks to that trauma and like that she is still stuck in that trauma. And I really like that. I, I think that that's really powerful um, right. because that's what it's about. Like that's what her story is about is about that, that, that trauma that she's stuck in and Obi-Wan um, eventually helping her get through that and her trauma helping Obi-Wan get through his right. So like dealing with that forces him into a situation where he has to deal with his. So, uh yeah i don't know and, and I, I think it's a cool reveal and it's very yeah, i mean it's very sith it's very star wars you know that's this is what the dark side does so she's bent on revenge um but then is naive and blinded by that and so she doesn't see that like vader is 10 steps ahead of her. And I think that's the other cool thing that it does is that it really places Vader at this point in the timeline into an important place because the next time that we see him is going to be, I mean, yeah, in Rogue One, but in A New Hope and then in Empire. And we see him as a commanding presence and as intelligent, right? Like, um, uh, and thoughtful and uh, not necessarily the brash, cocky kid that he was when he went into the armor. So in the... In these 10 years, he's learned a lot. Um, and I think, and I think, you know, uh, not by choice, right. But by circumstance, he's learned a lot and he's become a more evolved version of Anakin. Uh, and, uh, this scene, like those, those scenes really show it off, but that he is still evil, that he is still, he's still messing with her. Right. But that, uh, uh, but that he is not as, um, and I think it's kind of expecting us to feel that way that, that Vader, because that's what, that's what Obi-Wan is saying, right. Is that like, Oh, all he'll see is me. Right. And I think Obi-Wan's underestimating him at that point and thinking of Anakin, right. And not of Vader. Um, because Vader has been through it and isn't going to get burnt again. 
right? Like that's kind of the reality. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that's sort of, I don't know. Yeah, that's like that the, answers the, your the, question, it, right? That answers your question. About oh yeah, Riva. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, uh, I mean, like when it comes to Vader, it's like when it comes to say the way we the fans kind of see Vader is like his probably his apex is probably like Empire Strikes Back, for example. Um, and that comes from you know years, say like give or take like you know 13 years after this moment and at that point vader is in full control and he's also removed the obi-wan of it all because he's been dead for about three years at that point so there's a lot of like preconceived notions that we come with you know with just the idea of vader but then like we're still dealing with technically a younger vader if you will where Mm -hmm. he's a little bit more like brash like Anakin was so I love seeing that kind of put together because I mean in episode three of Obi-Wan where we see him stalking in the village as you know just this evil presence who has a little bit of that but then through the course of this show we're seeing that he's kind of almost reverting back to it and we're seeing it because I think they're I think their flashbacks are also um, not just for our purposes and obviously, but I think it's also coming from, uh, not just Vader, but also Obi-Wan. So it's like, they're both kind of having this kind of shared experience where, cause like there's a couple moments where when it uh, cuts back to the present, it's not just always cutting back to Obi-Wan. There's moments where from the flashbacks, it cuts back to Vader as well. So it's to show that we're all, that they're both kind of remembering their master and the apprentice just in how they handle battle but um yeah um the fight at the end is fantastic um i i love how for lack of a better term he just schools her the entire time and it's not a it's not a short fight which i appreciate but it's just it's at this point it's vader at his most just i'm going to pick the wings off this fly because i just lost obi-wan so now i'm going to take it out on you Riva. So mm. I really appreciated that. And the the disrespect of not even using his own blade, you know, it's just fantastic how he just tosses back one of her blades back to her to her. They fight for a little bit. The uh just the aggressive force pull of the second blade at the end of the fight is just fantastic. So it's just little stuff that I loved in the uh, choreography. Um but um and it's just, it's also like a teaser to what's going to happen in the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a great fight. Uh, he just toys with her, right? It's got a lot of shades of, of the beginning of the fight in empire when he's just mm-hmm. one handed fighting Luke and just kind of like, this is all I need to, to finish you. And, you know, like the all too easy, right? Perhaps you're not as strong as the emperor thought sort of thing. Right. Um, and again, I mean, like similar because they're underestimating Riva and uh, you know revenge and the the will to live and all of that. But uh, yeah, yeah, such a great, such a great fight fight sequence, so well choreographed. Um, and then like sort of a lot like juxtaposed with the 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 training stuff that we talked about earlier, right? Like it's just mm. it's it's really good. It's really good because it shows that like what Anakin will say in the next episode, I am what you made me right. Mm. Obi-Wan is responsible for Vader. He is responsible for both the good and the bad of Vader. 
And that is a complicated mixed bag because it's like the things that made Anakin Anakin um, were due in large part to Vader, to, to Obi-Wan. But then like so many of those aspects continue on in Darth Vader um, and Obi-Wan is responsible for him being able to do many of the things that he can do. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and obviously Anakin uses those to do cruel and unspeakable things to people all over the galaxy. And so, you know, like there's a, there's a, like sort of the double edge on that. Um, and I like, I love that. I, I, I love that aspect of it, but it's, uh, so when we get that scene in a new hope where Obi-Wan is like, Vader was once a pupil of mine before he turned to the dark side, right? Like it's, it, it has so much meaning, so much meaning because of this show and because of moments like this, where it's like, we see the flashback, Anakin has not learned the lesson. And then we see this fight at the end that mirrors that battle, right? Obi-Wan pulling the lightsaber out of Anakin's hand and being like, the fight's done. I win. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Vader doing the same thing to Riva. And it's like, at the end, he's got the two lightsabers and he's like, we're done here. Right. And he is teaching her a lesson in the same way that Obi-Wan was teaching him a lesson, but he is a, he's a dark reflection of his former master. And so it's evil the way that he teaches his lesson which is to murder her, right? Like, or seemingly like his, his perception is that he has killed her. So yeah. Do, it's, uh, does, that, does that whole thing track with you? Because I, that, that's always kind of bump with me too, because of course we know the reason why she has to stay alive for the next episode and what happens there. Mm-hmm. But um, I've oh, not always, but it's like, I slightly struggle with the fact that this is the second time that Vader has dispatched her. And she's still alive. That being said, I remember when I was watching it and I did remember like, well, Darth Maul survived. <laughs> so, well, it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's what it's, I think it's the reason why the grand inquisitor says what he says, yeah. right? Because we turn around and go like, mm, it's the arrogance of the Sith. Right. And that's like, that to me is, it's a little hand wavy, but it is also, your overconfidence is your weakness. Always, yeah. always, always, always. This is a this is a consistency with all of the Sith. Is that like that is how like that's how they operate. They think they're in control, right? But what do we know from Jurassic Park? You, that's the illusion. You never had control, mm-hmm. right? So I, uh, it's it's actually in terms of like both the Sith code and the Jedi code. You know, there, there is no, um, uh, there is no chaos only peace, I think is, is what it says in the Jedi code. I, and I, and, and, and the Sith code is about like, like I, like through like my fear, I gain strength and my strength, I gain power and with power, I gain control and with control, I break my chains. Right. Like that's, I, it's not word for word, but it's like, like, that's what the Sith code is. Right. Um, right. it's so libertarian. It's hilarious, but I, <laughs> I, 
it like it, that is essentially like like the message there is like that's what the sith believe is that is that you know that control is their freedom and what they don't understand they always fail to understand is that no matter what because they're their their ideology is rooted in fear they are always 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 controlled by their fear and anakin's greatest fear is not being strong enough and Mm -hmm. so he will always have hubris so like that overconfidence thing it's just it's always going to be there because his greatest fear is not having power not having control not being able to save his mother not being able to save padme right not having control it's yeah and yet like they they think because they are the sith and they are in control of the dark side that they have control and it's like no but the dark side controls you palpatine controls you but the dark side controls palpatine none of you have freedom you are all slaves to the dark side and to your own fears Right. Like, and you need to do that in order to maintain the power structure that you have. You have to do that. And then, and then with the Jedi, it's the opposite. And this is where Qui-Gon and then Obi-Wan at this point become transcendent and Luke in, in, in return of the Jedi become transcendent beyond the Jedi order and become like actual Jedi, not Jedi Knights, not Jedi masters, but just, what was originally written in this in the script was jedi bendu right is what they were originally called right where i the jedi have a similar illusion that um that peace is what they're after it's in the jedi code it's everything's about peace and harmony and that's the light side but the reality of it and what luke discusses in the last jedi is that's not what it is it's balance right that's the jedi's perception of the force it's a different type of power and a different type of control that they cannot have right Mm -hmm. um but the reality is that like to be to be truly at peace is to allow things to happen and that's where Obi-Wan not killing Vader at the end of the next episode again. And it it mirrors this other thing. Vader has the arrogance of thinking that he's won, that he's, he's taught his lesson. Reva is defeated. The third sister is no more. And then the grand inquisitor drops his little taunt at the end of like, like farewell grand inquisitor or whatever he says. Right. And then, and like they, they it's, it's, I just love how much of a little lackey he is in that moment. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, he's yeah, it's it's uh anyways. Um I it's like it's like Biff and his uh and 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 his little cohort in 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 uh, in Back to the Future. Yeah, uh, especially Lane in part the two. The 3D glasses and yeah. all them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like his little gang and he's got his little minions like hey, hey, hey. and Biff is like shut up guys. Right? And they stop um it's so much like that i love it i but but he walks away thinking like i've i've made my point i've done what i've done she's dead like what's she gonna do there's no she's got no way off of this planet she's got no one to help her she's alone in the dirt she's dead 
right? Because we know what happened with the Grand Inquisitor is that the fifth brother was also on Dayu and was on his way there, right? So like he got there as soon as as soon as you know she was like, oh, he died. Uh, Obi Wan did it, and uh, and then and then you know the fifth brother was was sneaking around behind her behind Reva's back and. Man, I kind of wish he was in this episode now. Mm. Just, just yeah, the scene would have been nice. It would have been nice if he was also there. If he was just also, so that we know that he's in on it. But whatever, it's not a big deal. No, it's Um, it's, it's not going to hurt the show or anything. But uh, I don't think we see him anymore. I don't think we see any of the other Inquisitors moving forward. No, I don't think so either. But I, I, yeah. So the next episode, Obi Wan leaves Anakin alive. Um, It's very much. Like the force is going to do what it's going to do. Right. Like he, he just kind of walks away and he goes, it's not my story anymore. This is about, this is about Luke and Leia. Um, and, and one of them, I mean, in his mind, Luke will be the one to do this. Right. So, um, I think that there's just, there's just peace and purpose there. Right. So it's, uh, anyways, we'll talk more about that next week, but, but that's, For that's sure. sort of my take on it. For sure. Yeah, I have the uh, the Jedi code and the Sith code up in my uh, room, so I was, if you needed to, I was fully prepared to uh, recite it for you. But uh, I think you made your point, though, so you're good. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't need to be verbatim, right? But um, no, of course, no, everything you said, right? would, yeah, everything you said tracks basically, and um, yeah, that's the thing. It's always like the Jedi have their view, the Sith have their view, and it's it's balance. It always goes back to balance. It's like yeah, like exactly what you said. So. They're both um, wrong. They're both wrong. And I like one of my favorite Star Wars stories is not a canon story. It's actually a very silly one. Uh, and it's uh, it's from a, uh, an issue of Star Wars Tales, which was like an anthology comic series back in the uh, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I guess it was probably just early 2000s. But um, actually, no, maybe not, because it might have been like 98, 99. I don't know. Uh, I'd have to go back and look, but uh, uh, it, it came out after, I guess it was after 99 because this one's after the Phantom Menace. There's a great comic where um, Mace and Yoda are having lunch in a diner on Coruscant. It's meant to be reminiscent of um, of the scene in Pulp Fiction. I, I like <laughs> that. That's the gag. And they're having this discussion about Anakin and about the, about the chosen one. Right. Um, and uh, Mace sort of being like, do you think that he's the chosen one? Like, do you think, like, is this the prophecy? He'll bring balance to the force. Like, like, what do you think about this? What about this? What about, what about the Sith that Qui-Gon says? And like, 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 what does this all mean? And Yoda, Yoda's like, I, he could bring balance to the force. If we believe the, the prophecy of the chosen one, then, then it's true. He could bring balance to the force, but what does balance mean? And he dumps out, I've told this story so many times on these podcasts, but he dumps out a salt shaker and he goes, these grains of salt, all the, the, this, this represents the light side. This represents the Jedi, right? Thousands of us, tens of thousands across the galaxy. And then he, he tips over the, the pepper shaker and two little pieces of pepper land on the table right right next to this big pile of salt and then and he goes this represents the dark side this is the sith 
right? And he waves his hand over it and all but two of the grains of salt remain and the two grains of pepper. And he goes, this is balance too. Like this is also balance. Mm. And I, and, and, and then, and then it turns into a big like thing of like a, some, the person like holding up the diner and Mason, you know, to stand up with their lightsabers and, you know, again, it's a, it's an homage to Pulp Fiction, but like, that's sort of the end of the conversation is he's like, this is the, like, this is what it could also mean. This is what balance could also mean. And that balance, that's what happens, right? Is that we're left with two Sith and we're left with Yoda and Obi-Wan as far as we know, right? In the, in the narrative of the story. Um, right. And, and obviously now we know, like, oh, there's all these other, Jedi, but whatever. There are two remaining Jedi of the order, right? Like they're like these two Jedi. Also, it could represent the twins, right? It could represent Luke and Leia. So if you, you can look at it that way as well, like the rest of the Jedi don't count at that point. They're all fallen. It's uh, uh, the order has fallen all that blah, blah, blah. Um, Yeah. So it's just Luke and Leia. But in any case, the point is made that that's what balance ends up looking like. And then in, in the, in the later movies in the sequels, we get this idea, powerful light, powerful dark, right? darkness rises and light to meet it like it's said multiple times throughout those first two movies and then nobody says anything about it in the third movie for some reason um almost like there was a thematic through line in those first two that just got dropped and i'm not sure why but uh, i i you know had they had they carried that through um i think that ray's decision at the end with palpatine would have looked very different and uh, perhaps instead of destroying him, man, this drives me nuts. What new force power does she exhibit at the beginning of the film? The force lightning. No, the ability to heal. Oh, yes. Sorry. Right. We've never seen this before. We we it's say been, we saw it. Yeah, we I saw it the night before on Mandalorian. And then we see it in, in the Rise of Skywalker. Right. It's like, right, like right. that same week we get to see it twice. We've never seen it before, but she has this ability to heal, right? That, that it's just, it's, it's, it's never been seen. I mean, we've seen it in video games because we need to be able to heal things in video games, but that's about it. Um, and so the solution at the end of the movie is not to heal Palpatine, which is what she should have done, right? She should have burned away the dark side. And restored Sheev to who he was before he fell, right? Like, that's what should have happened. But instead, you know, we get what we get. But, like, that's, like, that's the, and that, like, would have brought an end to all of it. I mean, like, I, I look at, you, you know, what's the perfect ending for a story like this is Avatar The Last Airbender. To me... That's what they should have done at the end of Rise of Skywalker is that she should have used her healing powers to 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 heal him so that he no longer has this this lust for eternal life to heal him and then just like take away the force. Just turn it off for him. Just be like, you are now a normal man. 
and you have a second chance. And then like, that's it. Like, like, and, 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 and then Ben can live and it's like, and he gets a second chance as well and all of that. And it's like, that would have been because that's like restorative, right? Like that would have actually meant something as opposed to what we got. But like the Obi-Wan series gets that. Right. And that's why it's not just a fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan in the next episode. It is, you know, like there's emotional content there and Obi-Wan leaves him not because the story dictates or the, the plot dictates it. Obi-Wan leaves him because the force has other plans for Vader. And in order for the galaxy to be healed, Luke and Vader have to have their confrontation. It has to happen, right? It has to happen the way that it happens. And, uh, and that's how they'll defeat the emperor. I think that that's what Obi-Wan sees. And again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about this next week, but that all ties into, like I said, it's a reflection of, of Vader's decision here. Obi-Wan sees very clearly in the next episode, the path that destroying Vader leads to, right? Obi-Wan destroys Vader. Palpatine finds a new apprentice. That's it. He finds a new apprentice and he continues, right? But there is a path through Luke and Leia where it all it all can end. And I, Obi-Wan doesn't know what's going to happen, obviously, because the things that he says in, in Empire and Jedi don't line up with him knowing how this is going to end. But I right. think that he senses in the Force that the living Force communicates to him don't do like don't if you if you kill vader here then you lose what makes you a jedi and the dark side wins right and he doesn't i don't know that he fully understands that at the moment in that moment but he knows he knows that it's not his role right and so i think like then you know ultimately Luke bringing Vader back from the dark side and Vader sacrificing himself to destroy the emperor has even more meaning as a result of Obi-Wan choosing not to go down that path. Right. And kill his friend. Um, which is not the decision that he made previously. The decision that he made previously on Mustafar is much more similar to the decision that Vader makes on Jabim with, Riva, right? Of like, no, no, he killed Anakin. As far as he was concerned, he killed Anakin, chopped off his legs, chopped off his arm, left him to burn. Like the dude was cooking mm -hmm. when he left him and he said it, he said, don't do it. And what he was really saying was don't make me do this. Right? right. Like this is, this is literally the last chance. Stop. And, like, you know, don't make me destroy you. I'll do what I must, right? Like, uh, like, just, it just, like, all of this stuff, like, it's, it, it all kind of comes back in, in the next episode, but it's, it's all, it's all tied in. So, yeah. I don't know if I made any sense in all of that. I said a lot of stuff, I feel like, but I don't know. I don't know if I really made my point, but, but to me, that's why it's, it's never bothered me. Because I just look at, at Vader and and the Grand Inquisitor and their arrogance and their cockiness and self-assuredness. And I'm like, no, that tracks for me. That's exactly how that's supposed to be. Um, for sure. 
they think they're in control and they think that they've done they they think that they they have they the thing about the sith is that they never learn lessons right like they just don't they just they make the same mistakes over and over and over again um the rule of two is such a great example of this where it's always like the rule of two the rule of two the rule of two and then palpatine's like yeah but we also have the inquisitors and then vader is like like but the rule of two is like actually the rule of two is exactly why the sith like it it allowed them to survive undetected but it was also like the thing that stopped them from gaining power again um and it's and it's ultimately their undoing because with the rule of two it's the perfect opportunity for for your apprentice to betray you right like you've you've stopped nothing all you've done is ensure that the sith will be destroyed when you eventually destroy each other right like um so yeah it's 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 just it's one of those funny ironies of like because i i like in the Plagueis novel, right? It's I, uh, it's I, uh, I. Uh, his, who was Palpatine's master? Palpatine's master was Plagueis. Plagueis, yeah. yes. But Plagueis's master was Tenebris, right? And Tenebris has all these plans, and Plagueis is doing all of this stuff, and then Plagueis finds Palpatine, and then uses Palpatine to destroy tenebrous right like like that's like and then and then uh and then palpatine palpatine uses maul right palpatine uses maul to destroy plagueis like it's just it 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 like it's an unending cycle of betrayal with the sith i it's been so long since i've read the darth plagueis novel read listen to the audiobook of the darth plagueis novel but um i think that's because because him like going and getting maul all of that happened hey have you read that one so I've read, I've, I've read the Plagueis novel about three times, but I've only gone, I've only been able to get like seventy pages in. For some reason, I just can't connect just, to that novel. It's a even rough one, I, even though everyone loves it. Do you, so you okay? So I've never heard it being rough before for anyone. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's it's difficult for me to kind of get through that one. So um, I mean, I did a quick little Wikipedia and like, yes, Darth Tenebrous was. Plagueis's master, but I've always wanted to um, put it this way. Um, I don't think there's anything canon about uh, Plagueis being immune. Um, I know he is yeah. in Legends, but um, I, I kind of there's a part of me that kind of wishes that he wasn't immune. I, I feel like that design of a for, for the master of Palpatine just doesn't fit for me. <laughs> I don't know, just visually, you know, um, and the fact that it's a novel also, you know. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter in a novel too much when it comes to like, you know, visual aesthetic, but um, I never really jived with uh, the whole design of immune for the master of Palpatine personally. So yeah. I think that's another thing that kind of always kind of bumped with me, but um, I know broad strokes of it, but um, I do remember like Maul being more involved, especially in the Canon, like comics, for example, leading up to the Phantom Menace. That's basically kind of where I know um uh the, you know, the history when it comes to palpatine and plagueis and whatnot yeah and then tenebris is a bith which is hilarious yeah, i just saw that which is you know like, like the grin dan right yeah dude um, there, there's there's certain i don't know there's certain designs that i feel like just are 
just stick to what they are, that this is what it should be. I mean, I've always felt like the design, um, and this is going way off topic here, so I apologize in advance, but uh, the Grand Inquisitor design, you know, the um, Uda Powan, um, or the Powans, um, we, we see a Powan in Revenge of the Sith, and I've always felt like that design should have been maybe a more refined version of what a general grievous should have been. Cause that design of, uh, what, uh, uh, Theo Midan looked like in revenge of the Sith always resonated with me more. Um, mm. and I've always felt like general grievous should have had that aesthetic with, you know, the cyborg, you know, and, um, uh, body and whatnot, but just, I've always felt like that design should have been more of a villain. And then we kind of got that in rebels with the grand inquisitor. So I've kind of like yeah. relaxed on that a little bit. But I've always felt like the Powan was a more striking um, design visually for like a Sith-like villain in Star Wars uh, versus uh, what uh, we ended up getting with like say General Grievous. But um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the choice to make make uh, Plagueis immune is is uh, is an interesting one because I think they wanted him to specifically be a, a species that was associated more with like the intellectual side and then being the banking clan and all that. I think, I right, think what right. was the, the idea there is that it's like, Oh no, it's like, he's very like, um, this is the thing about the Sith is that they're very, they're very like planning. Right. And that sort of thing. But I, it's being a bit just always like, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. I have a hard time taking a bit seriously, you know? Yeah, but, it's like uh, I mean, it's like you know, then the, the step behind that is like who was Tenebris's master in Ewok? Like it's like kind of the, the track, the same track yeah. of like, um, it's it doesn't fit for me. Anyway, but um, um, I I always the funny thing is that I always forget that Darth Tenebris is a Bith, and I always um in my head I don't know I don't know where I got this this visual, but um. Um, if you know the character Stinkor from He-Man, he's like a, 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 he's like a skunk man, right? Okay. There's like, I have this weird image in my head of like, because he's got like, Stinkor has like a, like a, like a face mask, like a, mm -hmm. like a Vader or like, I mean, like, like Tenebris has one of these as well. Um, uh, but especially like the 2003 He-Man series. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm up right now. <laughs> it like I don't know why, but for some reason, like that that version of the character is just like it. That's what I see Darth Tenebris as is that that head, um, which looks very alien to me. People can look it up. I literally, I literally just googled it to see if this will come up. If you put in 2003 He-Man Stinkor and you look at the first image, uh, or at least the first image that came up for me, you'll see, you'll see what like whenever I think of Darth Tenebris, this is what I see in my head. Uh, I, yeah, we're so off topic; it's hilarious. But that's um, I don't know. I think like that's a cool Sith design, a Sith looking design. It's like a cat, right? It looks like a cat with a mask and the, the eyes. So the first image that I saw was a toy of Stinkor because I'm not um, really into He-Man. And so this is a completely yeah. different world um, for me. But the first image I see is a, a like an Amazon picture of him and the eyes just. 
You know, you know what he looks Hilarious. like. So, in in the 2003 version, what he looks like is um, he looks kind of like a Mogwai from Gremlins. Uh, I see it. Yeah. He, oh, there you go. Got, I see him. He's got yeah. like the ears, and he, actually, I mean, actually, he looks a lot like Stripe uh, from the first Gremlins movie. Um, but he is meant to be like a skunk man. Um, yeah, a stinky skunk man. Uh, so- and the actual the toy actually smelled bad. Uh, for those really who were not there in the eighties, um, or I think it was planned to. I don't know if he actually ended up smelling bad, but that was definitely like part of the was going to be like the gimmick for that toy was that he smelled bad. <laughs> that would have been ambitious. <laughs> I got now. I have to answer this question for myself. Did the stink or figure? Oh my god! I can't type. Actually smell while you're doing that I, i'm gonna say real fast the uh yeah. the, the credits because i don't think we ever got to that uh part five for obi-wan <laughs> directed by deborah chow uh writers are joby harold and i wanted to mention this andrew stanton yeah yeah um the director of john carter <laughs> yep yep and uh and and finding nemo um <laughs> so three very wildly different things um right. yeah the uh, the original the original stinkor action figure was chemically treated with patchouli oil to smell musky. <laughs> no, yeah, it's that's completely the eight that just uh, yeah the eighties were a wild 80s time. Thing. The eighties were yeah. a wild time. Uh, so the next time you think of Darth Tenebris, think of that. Um, anyway, he smells bad. He's a bad. <laughs> yeah, I can't even get the sentence out. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I think we did it. Oh yeah, we definitely did it. That's an episode. If we're talking about <laughs> He-Man action figures and this episode about Obi-Wan Kenobi, we're done. We're at, we're out of gas guys. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with our final episode of our Obi-Wan Kenobi retrospective. Um, and then it will be a break uh, probably until Ahsoka, but really it's not that long. I mean, it'll be about a month um, between cause, cause we'll, this next episode uh like our, our like the the final episode of of this recap of the the obi-wan retrospective will come out on like the 11th so then yeah we're like a month and a half away from ahsoka can you believe that man we're like a month and a half away from ahsoka i cannot um, wait i'm very excited I'm very excited it's really and, uh the last thing i'm really like looking forward to this year if i can't remember correctly um oh really what about dune oh my god dude oh yeah you know what yeah dune looks great Dune Part Dune Two looks phenomenal, phenomenal, and the, and the Marvels is also in November. Um, we got like d- like one week after the other with those. Um, True, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, that's it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening, and we will be back next week for Part Six, our final chapter of Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Thunderquack Force Perspectives. Our opening theme is composed for us by Christy Carew. Follow Force Perspectives on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ForcePOV. And join us on Discord at thunderquack.com slash discord. Support the show by visiting us at patreon.com slash thunderquack to get early access to episodes, leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast service, or buy merch at store.thunderquack.com. 
Force Perspectives is a part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network.